Hello and thanks for joining me for Tui's News, the podcast, another edition on Barry Tui. We're brought to you each and every week during the footy season by the Newcastle Herald and our major sponsor, West Group. If you don't know who West Group is, and I'm sure everyone does by now, but they do own the Knights and they also um, operate all the big licensed clubs in the area. So uh, we thank them for their ongoing support. Uh, before we... Um, get into this week's special guest. Um, it's a big welcome to the Assassin of the Airwaves. <laughs> this, oh. po- this podcast, hang on, hang on, I've got, I got a bit more. This podcast producer, Simon McCarthy. Hey, Simon. Hello. Hello. Now. <laughs> he says from the shadows. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. Really? And, mate, you know you've made it in the world when you you get people, fans of the show, tweeting in with suggestions for names for you. And so I've, I've, we've got to pay credit to Marcus, who uh, is, um, you know, he'll be he'll be with them in, or in the mailbag later on. But he's the one who's come up with the Assassin of the Airways, which I thought was uh, outstanding. Absolute legend. I, I That's did, brilliant. I did have another I, one for this week, but I'll save it for next week now. That's so good. You're going straight in the business card, Marcus. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, before we talk to um, our special guest, uh, Tony Kemp, former New Zealand international and and an original knight, um, obviously the knights coming off a bye last weekend, so a guaranteed two competition points, sitting, I think, a point outside the eight at this stage. Um, But obviously the table's very congested and – a little bit deceiving because teams have had buys uh, and some others haven't. Um, Newcastle facing a massive test this weekend up there uh, at Suncorp Stadium on Saturday night against the Broncos or late Saturday afternoon against the Broncos who are in great form coming off a a big win over the Sharks in Sydney last weekend. Uh, Doing everything right, the Broncos, leading the comp at the moment. So a huge test for, for Newcastle and... I reckon the next three weeks, Simon, the next three weeks, they've got the Broncos, then they've got the Roosters at home, which is obviously a very winnable game, and then they've got a tough test against Penrith down there at Penrith the following week. So I reckon the next three weeks, we're going to get a a big indication of um, whether the Knights are a fair income finals contender this year. do they have to win all three? No, they don't. But I reckon they're going to nearly have to win two of the three probably uh, to keep themselves up there. Um, and that's going to be a tall order. So uh, in saying that, uh, Newcastle's got probably arguably their best team this year, I think, on paper anyway, um, ready to roll out there with Kurt Mann back on the bench. Um, and basically everyone else fit apart from Jaden Braley. Obviously he's out for the season, but... Uh, Everyone else available, so uh, there'll be no excuses. But it's going to be a huge test on Saturday against uh, against Brisbane. So uh, we wish all the boys uh, the very best. Obviously, be good, to, be good to get them to see a win over the Roosters too at home. That'd be oh that'd yeah. Be Look, if they could knock if they could knock Brisbane over this weekend against the odds, most people, including myself, are tipping Brisbane to win. But if they can uh, knock Brisbane over, or at least give them a massive fright and uh, they'll take some confidence into the Roosters mm. game here and, and the Roosters aren't travelling all that well. 
My old man's a Rooster supporter. I'd, I'd really like him to win because yeah. that would just give me bragging rights for like weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't beat them very often. They've beaten them here at home, um, not in the not-too-distant past. So, um, but first game first, we've got to get over the Broncos first. So hopefully um, they can get the job done, done up there. And obviously... Um, you're talking other games. Well, Origin, the Origin series on New South Wales under all sorts of pressure going down in Adelaide. Um, have to win up there in Brisbane um, to keep the series alive and obviously got some injury concerns, particularly with Nathan Cleary being out for the for the series with that hamstring injury. So Brad Fittler, the coach, has got some big decisions to make in the next week or so over, um, over who he's um, going to choose for that... Um, Origin, uh, second Origin game up there in Brisbane, and uh, from a local point of view, Tyson Frizzell I thought was outstanding, or not outstanding. I th- that's probably taking it a little bit too far, but I thought he was one of New, New South Wales's better players in the opening game of the series. So he should hold his spot. I'd be very um, surprised if uh, Tyson's not there for game two. Okay, well, after this, we'll be back with Tony Kemp, and then we'll have the the mailbag. We're recording this. Here he is. Renault. Hey, Phil. Hey, Buzz. Are we on? Are we recording? You're ready for us, are you? Hey, mate, if you're ready, we can call me back. Oh, we are sort of recording, but I've, I've got a little intro to read first before... Uh... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this week, Knights Prop, Daniel Safiti, Nathan Ross, Jared Mullen, Anthony Seabold, Jaden Braley. It's a great privilege to have uh, Tim Zhu, Mark Hughes. Hello, Hughesy. Mitchell Pierce, the greatest knight of all time. Paul Harrigan, good morning. Kurt Gidley, welcome to the podcast, kids. The one and only Kirk Reynoldson. Hello, Renault. Mate, I've been waiting my whole life for this, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> this week's guest, well, he's a he's a Knights original and a former Kiwi international. And I've got to say, um, when he was here, he was one of my my favourite players coming through the the system during the early years of the Knights. He had a bit of X factor, um, something out of the ordinary, and he was a, a great fella off the field as well. And it, I, and it's thirty years. I reckon it's thirty years since I've spoken to him, um, and so it's a great pleasure to to welcome Tony Kemp to the show. How are you, Kempy? I'm Tenakwe Berry, and I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. Yeah, thirty years. How time flies, Bez. Oh. Um, it's been a long time. It's amazing, actually. I well, I often think about it when I think of, look at my kids and see how old they are and everything else and, and wonder where all that time went, mate. But it is, you know, we, you, we're talking, you, you were well, you're first here in 88. I think you are here for about six seasons. So it would be about 30 years since, um, since or just about anyway, since we've spoken. So, um, yeah, at, at time flies. How are you going, mate? What are you, what are you doing with yourself? Mate, I'm going. I'm going real well. I'm. I'm actually. Uh, I work for ECNZ uh, in New Zealand, which is an arm of ECN in Australia. Yeah, you're uh, a radio star, uh, aren't you, over there? I, I have, mate. I've got a. I've got a breakfast show with Israel Bag, the ex All Black. So we we do the breakfast. Uh, we do mornings breakfast show uh, in New Zealand. Uh, you can tune into us on the app at six to nine every morning, talking sport for a living. And um, yeah, mate, really enjoyed it. It's been a a pretty good uh, good year of sport, and and yeah, like like you said, thirty years. 
started off in rugby league, and, and rugby league is still sort of where I am today. If, it, if it's not talking on the radio, it's um, it's doing community work out there at the moment. Fantastic. Are you in are you involved? Do you do you um, call or help call the the Warriors games at all? Or? I call every Warriors games. That's right. Yeah. So I got a, I'm, I'm um, co-commentator with uh, Sam Hewitt, who also calls it for SCNZ. I've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, so I sort of fell into that role once I I left the Warriors as a head coach and. I got straight into broadcasting on on Māori television in New Zealand, and then ended up uh, in radio, and have sort of been tied up in the media, as a lot of us old footballers do. Baz, if you've got a little bit of knowledge about football, um, people people like to hear what your opinion is. And um, one thing I definitely have is an opinion, as you know. <laughs> is there some excitement over there about what the Warriors are doing at the moment? I mean, we're not getting carried away, but um, certainly they're. They're very competitive under under the new coach, um, Andrew Webster. Oh, it's a funny competition, isn't it? It is. As you know, like um, I haven't seen a I haven't seen a comp this tight. Um, I don't think ever, and, and since the NRL's been around, and I think it's probably the first year where you can argue um, an opinion that maybe if you do make the eight, you're a dead set chance of winning it because, as you know, if you're not in the top four. It's never been one outside the four yep. uh, since this this competition's been run. So when you when you talk about the Warriors, you know, like um, having been away from the country for two years, the first thing a lot of people in Australia don't realise is that we've we've had no sport in this country for a long, long time. So they've come back, they've hit the ground running. They find themselves sitting in sixth position, and. Um, you know, no one really picked it to be that way. Well, and I guess no one really picked the competition to be that way. And and you could argue the point that rugby league is probably heading rugby union in this country at the moment as far as support goes. Yeah, wow. I think there was 23, 23 and a half thousand there at the weekend. There was 23,000 there. There was 21,000 the, the home game before. There was 20,000 the game before that. Um, and you can't fill those stadiums with Super Rugby at the moment unless you're the Chiefs who have only played one game, have um, only lost one game, and that was to the Reds uh, three weeks ago. So, you know, rugby league in this country, like I said, we've been starved of it for so long. To have the Warriors going as well as they are, um, everyone's got behind it, and it's it's actually a really good time to be a rugby league supporter in New Zealand. Mm. Well, I've, I've got to say, Kempi, that um, I do have a, an interest I guess you could say in the in the Warriors. Um, I got a son that's working in the system over there, so I've been keep, keeping a close eye on on what's going on. He's he's obviously excited along with everyone else about um, the sort of stuff that the Warriors are doing this year. Did you see this coming at all, um, or was it a sort of an unknown factor given that they got a new coach and, as you say, they were returning home for for the first time in a couple of years because of the COVID situation? Did you? Did you expect the, the team to be, um, you know, playing this well? Oh, look, there's a, the, the 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 answer to that question is is really I think everyone was sort of living in the unknown because we didn't know what we were getting back because um, the team had been based up in Redcliffe and we'd had players coming and going and none of them had been to Australia or overseas imports and all of a sudden they signed the likes of Mitch Barnett out of Newcastle. Um, Marata Nuakore out of Parramatta um, you know tomorrow Martin was playing locally here he goes to Brisbane and decides to come home 
Um, and and you're just thinking that you know maybe we've got some good players joining the likes of Aiden for Noah Blake, um, and then you add Chance Nickel Clockstead to that in that key position at fullback, and then they hit the ground the way that they did in their in their first few games. I think you know what whilst no one saw it coming, um, I think what everyone was expecting was the team to come back here and and really put the effort in for their for their. I guess their home crowd a lot like Newcastle back in the early days um, when we used to pack that stadium out with 30,000 people you know um, and, and they used to love just coming to watch us because of the effort we would put out there on the football field and, and Auckland and New Zealand are similar to that type of mentality as long as you're putting in that effort um, you're going to win a hell of a lot of fans over here in New Zealand and, and that's what Andrew Webster's bought he's bought a I guess a, a bit of resilience back to the side, yep. um, both on offense and defense, and and you can guarantee that no matter who they're playing, um, they're going to go out there and they're going to give their best. And I guess you know as they build towards a, a better future, uh, it's not it's not to me having been there through the early two thousands and going to a grand final, it's not that it can't be done in this country. It's just there's a certain way that it needs to be done, and I think Andrew Webster's heading, heading down that down that right track. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic for for rugby league in New Zealand, but also fantastic for the for the NRL as well, mate. Um, let let's how good your memory? Mine's not that good to be honest anymore, but um, I have done a little bit of research. You think when I you think when I ran into that goalpost that night up here <laughs> before the uh, North Sydney game, I wouldn't have a memory, mate. But it's still it's still pretty good. It's still pretty good about Newcastle. Don't worry, I'm going to bring that up. I'm going to bring that up. Um, Take, take us back, mate. Obviously, um, you were here for the debut, the Knights' debut season in in '88. I think you were in England prior to that, weren't you? How did you you were playing over there with Doncaster or someone? How did you how did you come to to end up playing at the Knights? I know there was a lot of New Zealanders, a lot of Kiwis, led by Sam Stewart, and we'll talk about them shortly too. But um, that um, you know were recruited for that for that uh, inaugural season in the comp. Um, how did you come to, to get here? And obviously there was a, a certain court case before you even were allowed to play uh, with the Knights going back in 88. What, what are your memories of, of coming here initially? Well, yeah, you, you mentioned that man, Sammy Stewart, you know, our first captain there at Newcastle. Um, and I was in England the year before Newcastle came to New Zealand. They actually came to sign Sammy Stewart up, who was a current Kiwi at the time, and I just happened to be playing in the same club team, club team um, as him. And a guy called Kenny Laban over here yep. had said to Michael Hill, who'd come over to sign Sammy Stewart, that you should keep an eye on this guy, which was me. And um, you know they they were pretty close in, in the way that they spoke of, um, about talent. And it just so happens that the night that they signed Sammy Stewart. Um, I played in the same game. I actually had a shocker that night, Baz, it was against the Eastern Suburbs of the heart wreck. Um, but they but they backed it and they said, Oh yeah, look, we'll take we'll take Tony Kidd. Um, and we developed what was called a rookie scheme and came over there and um, it was a it was a real a real interesting time for me because I wanted nothing more than to play in the competition in Sydney. Um, yet we had a different rule in New Zealand where you couldn't actually play in Sydney unless you'd made the Kiwi team and played on in six tests or gone away on two tours. And of course, by the time that happened, you were at the back end of your career. And that's how the court case developed through a restraint of trade. So 
um, it was really down to Michael Hill. So Michael, who who became sort of my my club father, really, because I ended up living with Mike and Annie um, and the boys up there in Charlestown um, for for some time. When I went over there, they, I was only eighteen at the time, as you know. And, yep. Um, Macca, Macca, the great Alan McMahon, he, he didn't know me from a bar of soap um, when I was trialling for the for the team because you know I'd stopped being obviously signed by Hilly, and it wasn't until the first trials out there, I think I think it, it was it might have been Cessnock we played those first trials out there against um, Illawarra, Illawarra Steelers. They come to town, and I started off in the under twenty ones with. Me and Ash Gordon, we were centre winger. Um, Ash, obviously, a great mate. and He was the first signing for Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had a bit of fun that afternoon. I don't think they knew what hit him, the Illawarra boys. Um, just, just you know, playing the type of football that Polynesians and, and Indigenous players play with, flick passing it everywhere and trying everything, and it was coming off. And they they, they must have thought, oh, let's put this kid up into reserve grade. They pulled me off at half time, so I played half the game in reserve grade and did the same thing. And then Macca gave me a start in first grade the same day, and he um, he sort of walked up to me the following week. And I'd actually signed over there as a centre, a centre loose forward, um, a five eight loose forward. I signed over as, and he said, um, "Oh, you're a fullback centre, aren't you?" And I just looked and went, "Yep, I am." <laughs> <laughs> And I, no one knows this, but I never played a game of fullback ever. Um, Prior to I, that, as you know, round three against yeah. Balmain, um, I made my first grade debut. So, uh, round three, and, and when did you get the all clear? I know Michael Hill, who who was um, I don't know whether he's deputy chairman at the time. Hilly will pull me up on this, but he was certainly on the board. Uh, Max Fox was the chairman. He may have been the deputy chairman. Um, Obviously, his solicitor, he and Brian Doyle, I think, handled your case, which you won against the New Zealand Rugby League. When did you get the all-clear to actually play for the Knights? Had you had the all-clear before the season started? Well, we played... See, I had the all-clear to play the first season, which was our normal season, um, because we had developed what was called the rookie scheme, um, which allowed 10 Kiwi Kiwi kids to come over and get some experience in in the comp. And during that year, I basically had said to Hilly, I'm not going home. You know, I was, I was a, what they call a freezing worker. I worked in the abattoirs over here and I didn't really see a future in rugby league and working in the freezing works. And when I sat down with Michael and discussed with him at length my desire to stay here, um, he sort of, you know, explained to me in legal terms what my options were. And um, him and Brian Doyle sat me down up there in Charlestown in Hilly's office uh, and said, you know, well, there's this, um, this this avenue that we can take, which is called restraint of trade. And so we issued issued um, that that court proceeding here in New Zealand. And I actually it took a long time to get through. We were hoping to have the case heard before the end of the year. Um, we actually didn't have it heard till, uh, geez, right till the end of the the '89 preseason. Um, I couldn't play in any trials. They'd actually. We'd won the case, and but the New Zealand Rugby League wouldn't release me, so we had to go back and get the judge to, to actually tell them to let me go. And I think I came back in again. It might have been against North Sydney. I think was my first game back in '89. Okay. Um, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't until uh, early rounds of '89 that I'd, I'd actually been released, and I'd signed a five year five year deal, which was a long time to stay in Newcastle. I'd, I, they'd shown faith in me, so I signed a long-term deal to stay with them and show the faith in me. 
Fantastic. Well, what are your memories of that um, NRL? Oh, it wasn't NRL. It was New South Wales Rugby League, I think, back then. Um, debut in, in 88. It was against Balmain. It was round three. Um, I think you scored a try. As you mentioned, you you won the game. What, what, do you, what are your memories of that game? Oh, you know, I remember it was a dream come true. You know, I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof when I got named in the team that week by Macca. Um and he said, you know, you're starting at fullback this week. And, you know, you look across at, at the other side and there's Gary Jack and Wayne Pierce and Paul Surin and, you know, Blocker Roach. Benny um, Elias. Gary Freeman, Gary Freeman, Benny Elias. You know, the, the team was just stacked full of internationals. But I couldn't I couldn't have been more stoked, to be honest, as I, I just couldn't wait to get out there and rip in. And I just knew that, you know, like, the, the hard work and the and the dreaming of, of playing in that competition had finally paid off and I was just going to grab it with both hands and when Macca gave me my opportunity I'd actually set a goal when I was over there to have have, have been first grade by round three and, it, and, it, and it's really funny now that you look back on it and you know how powerful goal setting is you know and, and here I am um, running out for my first first grade game against some iconic players um, for the Newcastle Knights and I mean my very first carry I'll never forget it you know I've just they've kicked it off to me it's obviously I'm standing in a catching position at fullback and instead of handing it off to, to Butts I've decided to take it straight into the line because I was so full of adrenaline <laughs> and um, I've picked out Kerry Hensley um, with the big mullet Yes, and I thought I'll, I'll try and run straight through him and there's an actual photo in the Newcastle Herald the next day of me on level with the ground, I'm like planked out. He's hit me that hard and um, given me a welcome to first grade. I, I remember look, just, you know, his hairy face looking down on me, screaming at me, welcome to first grade boy. And I just couldn't have been happy. I, I you know, I was like, oh, thank, thanks a lot, Kerry. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got up. That was the main thing. I think. Yeah, I got, I got up. Yeah. That was, I always got up. That was one thing that I learned at Newcastle, you know, um, Mate, they were tough. You know, I've, I've never played in a tougher team in my life. You know, I didn't know where my career was headed, obviously, but that um, that early, those early years, those first two years I was at Newcastle, I've never, ever played in a tougher team. Yeah. Well, that was the sort of mantra that Alan McMahon promoted, wasn't it? Because outside of yourself, probably, particularly in that first season, the team didn't have a lot of flair, a lot of, um, it was more, you know, more one on, on guts than anything else. So that was the type of footy that he promoted to a certain extent. Well, look, I hear that all the time. You know what I mean? I hear, I've heard some, some great pundits and some great ex-players talk about those early years when they were kids watching us and we had no flair. Like, I just want to say to those guys, um, just remember you were kids and you had no idea what flair was back then. Um, because we did have footballers in our team, yeah. um, but what what we what we um, weren't really allowed to do was express ourselves because we had to stay in games, and uh, a lot of that flair was metered. You know what I mean? So it was pulled in, and and the toughness and, and the character of the player came out, so that we had longevity in the competition for that year. Mm. Um, but when you look across the board, you know, at the Stevie Formers, for instance, that those type of players, the Scotty Carter coming out of dummy half, the guys that, you know, the Anthony Butterfield that at 90, 95, 96 kilos was running into brick walls as a front rower, um, 
they had plenty of skill. You know, remember those days they called Butts and Boydie the Bruise Brothers? Yeah, they like, did, yes. Mate, what they what they didn't have in skill, then you didn't want to run into them. And I think I think it's a little bit unfair because you you see some some flair and I guess the benefits of that in the early days of those Newcastle teams um, building a legacy, you know, we actually earned the right for those guys to play the football that they did. And, you know, without that mentality that Macca sort of built in us and and we delivered out on the football pitch, you know, people travelling up that Pacific Highway fearing to come to Newcastle was around for a lot, lot, a long, long time, and that allowed other teams to express themselves um, but that that was basically how we how we were how we were brought into the football team. Like if you if you couldn't deliver that on the football field, then Macca didn't really want you anywhere around. How how did you go? Um, um, I guess keeping some of that flair that you had, that natural ability. I guess there were times when you would have loved to have you know chipped over the top and regathered inside your own half and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you probably thought to yourself, well, maybe that's not the right thing to do. Well, yeah, that's you know that's that was my game as a, as a Kiwi, yeah. you know, as a young 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 Maori Polynesian. That was my game, you know. Like I wanted to try things and chip and chase, and um, I had footwork and stuff like that. And you know, you go into first grade and you're told, you know, we need you to take yards, just you know, not footwork at the line. And um, you know, you're sort of as I said, you're, you're, the reins are tightened up on you, but so that you don't you know, throw those those passes to the to the wind because of the errors and, and putting the team under under pressure. But I will say I will say this, you know, in those early days, um, Macca took the blinkers off. You know, I remember after I think I think it was in that Balmain game, I was sitting on the blind side. Um and he's pulled up, you know, those old days we never had the, the fancy analysis kits that they do these days, Baz, we had a VHS Yep. and a push-start-stop button. And he said, I just want you to have a look at this video. And I was sitting on the short side, and I had um, my centre and my winger sitting there next to me. And he said, can you see what, what I can see? And I, I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he pushed play, and he said, how many people are standing in front of you? And I had a look up, and I said, oh, shit, there's only the winger there. And he said, that's your ball. You've got to call that because you've got two other guys with you, you know, we've missed that opportunity. And see, I'd never been coached like that in New Zealand. I yeah. sort of, everything that came to me was natural. Um, I was a gifted footballer. I was like, throw me the football and I'll create something out of nothing. Um, and then I met Macca and then he started to take the blinkers off. So there are a couple of really um, cool instances, which I, which I, I um, I attribute to Macca. One of them was that he took my blinkers off and showed me what what the whole game looks like. Um, you know, which which ended up helping me become an international player. But the second one was that he taught me actually what toughness was. Um, and a couple of weeks later, I was playing fullback, and I think we got we got a little bit of a toweling this day. I can't remember which team it was. It might have been Manly or Brisbane. And um, again, he sat me down on video. <laughs> And of course, you could do this, Bez. I don't, I don't advocate this, but back then you could do this. And he said, "I want you to watch this." And they make a break, and they come, they they come through. And um, as they part, draw and pass, they draw and pass the ball, and they score the score the score the try under the post. And Maka says, "What's wrong with that play?" And I said, "Well, you know, the the guys in the front line didn't make the tackle, and they left me isolated. I could try and." 
guess which one to get. And he said, no, you've got to go and get one of them. And I want you to go and get the one with the ball. And the next time they make that break, I want them looking for you, not you looking for them. Yeah. <laughs> so he basically gave me a license to clean people out. And um, as you know, I became very good at that. Yes, um, you did. As, as, guy, as, guy, as they used to say, this guy reminded reminded because I was a big fullback, reminded them a lot of Graham Eady, who used to do the same thing. So, um, no, nah, mate, it was a great, it was a great time. We we were skillful, um, but man, we were tough. We were very, very tough. What What about the Newcastle at that period of time? I mean, you had a lot of a lot of Kiwi mates. Obviously, you mentioned Sam Stewart. I think James Goulding, George Mann, Tara Party, uh, Adrian Shelford for a couple of games. Um, they were all here. Um, what are your memories of? And obviously, Newcastle was a buzz with the fact that we had a team in the in the in the Sydney competition. What 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 are your memories of the the city at that time and the fans? Well, I I'd, I'd, I'd been to Australia as an under fifteen, you know, like in a junior Kiwi playing against the the best in Australia. So I I'd, I'd been bulleted in Australia, you know, Baz. I hadn't been living there. So when I came over there to live, and of course in Newcastle, being from the coast here in New Zealand, and there was surf, um, but the beaches had white sand, they weren't black sand, it was just like paradise, you know? Um, And you got the train and it was warm, and and the the people had really taken to the nights. Like, it was so fanatical back in those days, you know? You couldn't walk anywhere anywhere without everyone knowing you. Um, You open up the, the Newcastle Herald every every weekend and on the Monday mornings and it was just full of rugby league stories and um, it was just a really great place to be playing rugby league, you know, and that's where that, you know, one town, one team mentality come from. We knew that we had the whole town riding the back of the Newcastle Knights and, you know, one of the mantras about um, making that, that steel town one of the most horriblest places you can come to as a, as a footballer from out of town was really built on that culture. And then the, I remember the earthquake and looking up at the picture that they put above the door when we walked out, yeah. you know, the hand reaching, the Newcastle night hand reaching, um, reaching down and you're pulling out the locals out of the rubble of the earthquake. It was sort of like touching the Liverpool sign when they used to walk out, you know what I mean? It was that sort of mentality and you'd walk out and a lot of guys would actually put their hand up and go, yeah, man, we're, we're doing this for our city and, um, I've got I've got fond memories of Newcastle. I actually thought that I'd live there forever, um, but that that wasn't that wasn't the case. Um, but my mem- my memories there are some of the fondest I've, I've got. You know, playing with some of the best players. You know, um, obviously an immortal. I've, got, I've I've actually played against three immortals with Wally Lewis and Mel Meninga, um, and alongside Joey Johns when I before I left there when we went to that grand final up against North Sydney. So. Um, maybe some great great players there that are still good friends of mine, um, along with some really nice people there that I've, I've you know I've got have got a big piece of my heart, you know. And I'm coming over there actually next week, Bears, to catch up with with Mike and Ann Hill because it's been way too long before I've seen them. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Because you lived with um, Michael and Ann for quite some time, didn't you? I think they thought you were going to moving in for a couple of weeks, and you ended up staying for a lot longer <laughs> than that, eh? Yeah, I think they wanted to move me out when I took their son golfing one day, and I and I didn't bring him home. He he had one too many, old Jason. 
after a, a game of golf with me, and um, I got I was lost. I got them I got them lost somewhere up the Pacific Highway. But <laughs> mate, they were they were such a you know they were a real integral part of making my journey in Newcastle um, quite a smooth transition because they took me under their wing and sort of. You know, I was a young Māori boy from from a small town in in rural New Zealand called Waitara, where there's only six thousand people, and I didn't really have my world worldly eyes on at that that time. And I'm living with a a guy that owns his own law firm, and he's teaching me all sorts of um, worldly things about you know what we should be reading in the paper and how you how you take information and how you actually have a discussion. You know, because you know some a lot of these things were foreign to me and. Um, but the, the the biggest thing about them was that they were a Tony Kemp um, fan, and and they supported me both on and off the f- football field. And I've I've shared many tears with them, and I've shared many laughs and and smiles with them, you know. But um, one one thing I'll ever eternally be grateful of was that they were the family that I didn't have um, in Newcastle, along along with Sam and Vicky Stewart. You know, without without those those two families, um, it could have easily been really tough for me. Tell me about the only field goal you ever kicked for the Knights. Well, mate, was it the only one? I must have had a, I must have had a few. I must have had a few of them. It was the only um, one, mate. I, I, well, according to the records that I looked up, it was the only one. It was a pretty important yeah. one too. Yeah, like, mate, there's, there's, um, ones in a game where the where the ball fall, falls falls your. Your your way, um, you've just got to you sort of hit them um, up against the. I think I think that that game there was a good halfback in that other team too by the name of Peter Sterling. Yes, they had a fair um, side. They had a, and they had a fair side, and you know I just well see Parramatta. They were they were my my um, my team that I grew up watching. You know, I, I used to base my game around the way that Eric Groth played. Um, I just used to love watching him, you know, play for Parramatta, play for Australia, and then one one minute I'm watching them, and the next minute I'm playing against them. And um, I remember that photo being in the paper where I'm holding up my boot. Man, you you, you wouldn't hold that type of boot up these days, you know. The, mind you, you wouldn't wear a green boot or an orange boot back in our day because you'd get a clip. Um, yeah, so, these days they're but, yeah, common. There was there was so many of those those times, mate. You know, like. I, I guess those were those those wins too were iconic for the fact that the town really relied on 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 those wins to make them happy and um, I was I was quite happy you know that I could get the field goal for us that day. Um, there's a try against South Sydney which where they were at the top of the table when they came to Newcastle which was another another one and and probably one of the one of the most enjoyable ones was a try scored against North Sydney in the last game in '88. Um, with Greg, Greg Florimo, who's a good mate of mine, when him and Clayton Friend came to town. So, um, yeah, there's there's so many so many memories of of my time over there, um, and so many good mate. There's so, so many good um, good tries scored by plenty of plenty of good players other than me. Well, that was round sixteen. The game I'm referring to, round sixteen that year. <coughs> Obviously, Parramatta. The Knights played Parramatta in the first game or their, their first game ever at home and, and got towed up in the opening round. I think it was 28 to four or something like that in the opening round. Um, but you turned the tables and on them down there at Parramatta Stadium in round 16 and you, you kicked the field goal for a 17-16 win. And you talk about the try 
against North Sydney. That was in the final round, and that was a game where you basically had to win to avoid the wooden spoon that year. And and um, you guys rose to the occasion massive, massively because I think Norse had towed you guys up not that long before then and, and um, they came up here and, and you put a big score on them to, to avoid the wooden spoon. So that would have been a big day for the club because from memory I think we won all three grades that day um, against against North Sydney. So it was a, it was a big day, big day for the club and a, and a good way to finish a season, you know, that was, I guess, difficult um, the team won five games out of, um, oh, well, out of 20, whatever the games were, 22, 24 back then, 24. Um, so it was, a, it was a difficult season, but certainly some, some promising signs from a lot of players, you included. Yeah, and it was a difficult season, but I'll tell you what, when you've got 30,000 people rolling out every week, um, whether whether you win or win or lost, and this is what I'm saying about the Warriors and their journey at the moment, what they knew, those thirty thousand people in, in at Marathon Stadium, um, which which it was called back then, was that they were going to get one hell of an effort, and um, the team that hopped back on that bus to travel back down the Pacific Highway, either to, to catch a plane back up to Brisbane or, or back to their homes, um, went back down there with a hell of a lot of bruises, um, bumps and bruises, you know, so. Um, we may have lost on the scoreboard, but we didn't lose as far as fan engagement um, and experience went because uh, they knew coming out. And I, I'll never forget like some of the stories that I heard about bus trips up there later on in, in my career when you're talking to players that had played against the, the Newcastle team in those first couple of years that they used to just shit their pants knowing that they were going to come out there and get bashed whether they won or lost. And I think, you know, for me... We had earned a reputation um, that you know they might not be at the right end um, of the score, but they definitely had won the won the points in the battle um, uh, of who actually was the tougher team. And I think I think when you when you have a Newcastle player, you know that that came on. You know you got Sarge that went on to play for Australia. You got and Chief and and Gary Worth and with New South Wales and Mick Hagan with Queensland and. Those, those, you know, Mike, Mike McLean when he came down, Adrian Brunker, they, all those further honours, along with those Kiwi boys that you said that that went on to represent New Zealand for many years. Um, Newcastle, we all have a lot to thank for Newcastle and just that tough mentality that they gave us. Well, mate, the team, thirty-six players played in the top grade that year <coughs> in '88. Twenty-seven of those thirty-six had never played at that level um, before that, so they were. New South Wales Rugby League debutants, if you want to call them that. So it just goes to show you, um, you know, how well the team did gel together and how well the club was put together initially back then. You mentioned hitting the goal, <laughs> hitting the goalposts um, and knocking yourself out, mate. Um, that's that's a famous judiciary case. Well, I say famous. It's famous in Knights folklore anyway. Uh, judiciary case involving... Uh, then Knights chairman Max Fox, who was another solicitor or barrister, um, what what it, tell us about that? Because basically, what had happened was that you got charged, um, you got charged for an offence. I can't remember exactly what it was, and and you went to the judiciary, and and Max, um, in his wisdom, um, decided that um, he was going to put up a defence that you you had suffered concussion at training. 
because you ran into the goalpost at training and it was a delayed <laughs> concussion, which is why you got pinged on, on that weekend. Was that how it happened? Yeah, delayed concussion. I think it was Jonathan Docking with played Cronulla and I got sent off in the first couple of minutes. So I decided to, to, to code, give him a code hanger. Um, he just he did have a good right foot step. He just beat me, beat me, and I I caught him fair and square around the neck and got sent off in the in the early stages. And um, it was a Friday night. We had a Friday night sort of run before we were going on the bus the next day to go down to Sydney. We were playing North Sydney that weekend, and I'm playing touch. We're going across ways, and I'd run onto a beautiful pass from Michael Hagen. He'd put me put me away down the down the outside. Um, in our warm-up game of touch before training started, before the knacker came out. and um, I ran past one goalpost, which I didn't see, and when I caught the ball, I went to open up, and I would be going about 80% of my speed at that time, and I hit that, that goalpost down the down the gym side, down by Joe Dunnage's gym, down that end, at full, nearly full pace, and I, you know, it, it bent me backwards, and I remember lying on the ground and looking up and I had no wind at me. I was absolutely, wind had been taken all out of me and, and I'm struggling to get a breath in. And all the all the boys and Macca and them had all come around and huddled around me and about 30 seconds later, just went, you know, whew, just a big breath came out. And I went like, who the F and hell hit me like that? <laughs> and they just looked at me like, you know, I didn't know the seriousness of it, yeah. um, but I'd run flat tack into the goalpost, um, and it was that serious that Mac had called training off and said, "Mate, you better get yourself to the doctor," because I was, I was severely concussed. Um, and Doctor Bragg was the doctor's name. Probably don't know if you remember. See, my memory's not too bad, Ben. So he worked just up the road, so up in Mayfield, I think it was. So I jumped in the car. You know, I limped out to the car. I just remember my knee was really sore. And I limped out to the car and um, jumped in the car. And by the time I got to Dr. Bragg, I don't know whether the office had phoned him. And he said, oh, no, you're fine, mate. Here's a cup of Panadol. Just get yourself home. You'll be right. And I'm going, mate, I'm like, my, my vision was starting to close in. <laughs> and Mac um, had called training off and said, we're training tomorrow morning. And this is Saturday morning. So... I've sort of got out of bed Saturday morning. I can't walk. My knee's like three times the size. Um, and I've limped into training. And the first, like Mac beat me to, to the door and he said, oh, you'll be fine. And I'm like, you know, I'm 20 at the time thinking, mate, I can't walk. You know? <laughs> and he's going, let's get home. I set up. You'll be fine. We're going to go to training. You go home. I set up. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm sitting there and I'm going, how the hell am I going to tell the coach? And I'm, you know, back in those days, you didn't want to give your position up. Yeah. I'm icing, I'm icing up all night, getting the ice around the knee and stuff like that. And the boys are going to train and I've got down, jumped in my car the next day. And I can bend my knees, sort of. And I'm going, oh, maybe I'm right, you know. So I jump in the car, jump in the car and go and jump on the bus to go down to North Sydney the day. And it's hot. Like the sun's out, you know. It's typical New South Wales where it's hot. And I'm thinking... I'm up against the French brothers and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get a hiding today. I can't even run. And um, I go down there and I walk into the changing room and, like, no one's paying any attention to me, you know. I'm sort of uh, looking at my knee going, how do I tell these guys? I can't even warm up. And um, they put me up on the table and the doc, doc gives me these, you know, these happy injections to 
help my knee. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, geez, I can bend my knee. <laughs> I remember looking at Hilly because Hilly come down. He goes, you'll be fine. Like that. And it was like my father telling me I'm going out there to play. Yeah. And just as we walk up the stairs, you know, at North Sydney and come out, I'm looking up and it's my first time I look over at Mark Graham. He's a legend of mine. I'm going, oh, no, he's going to tell me up too, Mark Graham. The, the the heavens open and it becomes a thunderous, storming day and we run out there and I don't have to worry about the French boys because as you know, back in those days when it rained, they just kept it in the forward so I didn't have to do a hell of a lot and I got through this game with, with which what I didn't know at the time was a fractured kneecap. Oh, um, serious? So I played that and ended up playing with a couple of injections for the next few weeks and went to England and played in the off-season. It wasn't until I got to England I thought, should I better go and get an X-ray? But by that time, it calloused over, and well, I had so much problems with my right knee ever since. Um, the doctor says, what did you hit? Because your knee's been fractured, but it's all it's all calcified back over itself. And I, said, I told him the story, and he was just shaking his head. But I guess, you know, that's, those days were a lot different. Um it just shows you how much pain you can live with. But like I've seen many of our guys back in those those days, Bez, as you know, um, play well beyond what people think is capable. Yeah. Um, and I and I guess that game was really my one to to basically show how stupid I was too, um, when running out with a fractured kneecap. And just just for the record, we won that game, which was un- unbelievable. And you won the um, you won the case at the judiciary as well, didn't you? And then, and then we do the Cronulla thing where Docking, Docking sort of loses a little bit of his his, um, his height his from head. the back of mine. Yeah. And Matt, and Max goes in and and they use that. Oh, he ran into the goalpost, so he hasn't been himself. Um, <laughs> he's been a little bit withdrawn, and and I'm sitting there listening to all this going, "Mate, this is good." Like I've heard some good ones before, um, and yeah, they did. It, it actually it actually helped. Uh, and keeping me on the football field because, as you know, back in those days, we we tried to keep all the all the players if we could on the field, um, and those guys were pretty. What would you call that? Innovative with the way that they thought, <laughs> and and around getting people off judiciary. Sensational, absolutely sensational, mate. You played um, between eighty eight and ninety three. You played eighty seven top grade games for the Knights over six seasons. Then you went to Castleford. Um, for a couple of years, came back and had a few games at the uh, North Queensland Crushers, then back over to England to to Leeds and uh, and finished up at Wakefield Trinity. I think you played two hundred and twenty seven top grade games or top level games all up, um, and and you you took over. I think you took over as coach of uh, Wakefield Trinity when when the club was in all sorts of financial trouble and you, you helped them um, avoid relegation over there. That would have been, what, the year 2000, I think. And then um, that was before you came back to New Zealand to take up a, an assistant coaching job at the Warriors, at the, well, at the Warriors, New Zealand Warriors, it would have been back then. Yeah, it was, it was sort of, I felt, I, you know, I'd fall into these coaching positions, Faz. It wasn't sort of something that I had... Um, I guess set my sights on, but I went through a really, when I was at Leeds, I, I went through a really bad stage with a broken arm and broke it about three, three times and spent quite a lot of time on the sideline. And, you know, Gary Hetherington, the CEO, wanted some money back from me because I wasn't playing football. I said, well, you can't, 
you can't have that back. You know, it's not my my fault that my armpits get broken for you guys. Yeah. But I'll tell you what I will do is I'll coach your second side. And um, he thought that was a great idea and, and gave me the head coach's role for the second side. And we went out and won the competition. Um, and that's sort of where I got a, a little bit of a taste for it. So when I signed for Wakefield, um, I signed as a sort of part player coach. And then they they'd sacked their coach and I ended up coaching them when they were going through that relegation time and kept them up. Um, but it was then that I decided, you know, I don't really want to coach in Super League without having the experience. I'd much rather go back down to the NRL and um, get some experience down there if I was to take this on seriously. And, and I was actually heading back to Newcastle. I'd had a couple of conversations about coming back to Newcastle because I still had a property back then in the early 2000s and thought, you know, this would be a great place to come and come and set up with my children and and, and start the coaching journey. And, and they sort of given me a little bit at the time, yeah, we'll come back, we'll have a look at you. Um, and it was when I came back to New Zealand that Matthew Richard called me and said, well, do you want to come and help coach the Warriors? And, you know, to cut a long story short, it was the first time I met Daniel Anderson. Um, and as you know, in those early years, 2001, we made the finals. Um, 2002, we go to the grand final. 2003, we miss it by one game. Um, and they were they were really really good years and, and good grounding in the in the coaching and the, the the coaching of the NRL side. So um, yeah, mate. Look, you know the the the, the games, um, the clubs, the coaching. I've, you know, like I said, you know earlier on in your podcast, you know, I was a freezing worker coming out of a small rural town that didn't have a career, um, and here I am as head coach of the Warriors in two thousand and five. Um, like you couldn't have written a better script um, if you were if you were a 16 year old kid, you know, with a dream. And uh, you know, I, I then went on to to be two IC for Tim Doyle at the the national body, um, and then into the Kiwi team, and and so on and so on. And still today, mate, I still keep my hand in it um, in a few things, especially community wise. Well, you <clears throat> you played 25 tests. For the Kiwis, did you did you um, enjoy coaching? Do you miss coaching? Well, yeah. Look, I really did enjoy coaching. I, you know, I, I like, especially in New Zealand, because I knew how good Kiwis were, um, and what we weren't coached as kids. You know, and I and I and when I came back, not a hell of a lot of had changed. You know, we'd had Kiwi coaches of the. The, um, the New Zealand Warriors, uh, arguably we had John Money in between that, but we really hadn't been coached the fundamentals. You know, we'd been been sort of given a football and, and rep sides, and, and a lot of those um, talents were basically raw skill when you went out there and played football. And you know, being able to coach some of the stuff that Macca back in the early days had coached in and around fundamentals and getting things right. Um, our players back in those days, the Jerry Susies, the Clinton Tupies, um, the Henry Farfillies, the Francis Mellies, they just thrived on on being told, you know, how to hold a football, where to catch it, how to lift your your sights and defence, and how do you make a proper tackle, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I, I did I did enjoy it, but you know, as I you know, I was I think I was the youngest coach in the NRL at the time. I was the first Polynesian coach. Um, but I sort of once I got into management, I, I really liked that side of it, like yep. managing more than coaching. Yeah. Um, and and that's sort of where I went to from there, you know. Um, 
when I, I, you know, I always say Baz, you know, when they offer me the head coaching job, would you what, would would you do it again? And the the simple answer is no. I, I wouldn't have taken it. I would have simply sat back and said, you know, I, I need a few more years under my belt to see whether or not this is really the the place that I wanted to go. I sort of knew that I wanted to head into management, but I wasn't sort of I didn't have enough network behind me to sort of support me on that direction. Um, but as it, as it turns out, as the years passed on, I ended up moving into those management roles with sport teams and organisations. Um, and people ask me now, would you go back to coaching? I'm, uh, maybe as a consultant, but um, I think I think there's more to it than just coaching. Well, you're probably enjoying the radio side of things now too, the commentating and the being able to, um, you know, give the NRL a serve every now and again for, for not <laughs> not playing the Indigenous round in New Zealand or or um, you know the you guys not having hosted a Anzac Day game against Melbourne since what 2015. Um, mm. Yeah, you you got that opportunity now to uh, to have a bit of a voice around around rugby league. Yeah, well, and and obviously you know that's why Hutchie's got me on the radio. You know, like I I I sort of as you know, Baz and the people that do know me in Newcastle, I've always had an opinion. Um, and well, you've never been backward and coming forward, mate. No, no, and, and I've always sort of stood up for what I've thought was right. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter whether that's on the football field or off it. Um, and one of the things that, you know, that I do get an opportunity with my role on the radio is to talk about rugby league candidly um, and, and challenge, and challenge the current way of thinking. Um, and I do, I do agree with, with a couple of your sentiments there. You know, I could do think that the NRL have missed a massive opportunity down in New Zealand um, over over the, the last six months with promoting the game in this country. You know, I'm, I'm a, an advocate for the NRL to come over and take the game over here in New Zealand because we should be the third state. Um, you have New South Wales and Queensland um, and their great origin concept, but you also have New Zealand that produces a, a plethora of talent into that competition. Now, not just what me and Sammy Stewart did for Newcastle, but if you look through all of the teams and the NRL competition that's heavily influenced by Kiwi players, but not only that, they are generally the stars of, of that of that football team. Um, so I do think the NRL, you know, they've still got their heads in the sand over there, um, and the sooner they can get down into this country and run run the game, I think it'd be better not only just for New Zealand but also for um, the NRL, as you know, because New Zealand's the biggest recruitment ground for them. Would you like to see another team in New Zealand? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Out of Wellington, maybe, or well, I think there's a number of places they could be playing over here. Bears, you could play it in Wellington and Christchurch, but I think if you get a a a stadium down on the waterfront, I think it'd be a great place to have two teams in Auckland. You know, so you fly fly in, you play one Friday night, you play one Sunday afternoon. It would work media media wise. Um, And of course, you've got enough talent up here. You know, we lose five between five hundred and a thousand kids a year to Australia. Oh, wow. um, out of out, out of our, you know, and those those actual numbers, they, and the NRL know that because they're transfers that go through the national body who I used to work for. Yeah. Now, when you're losing those type of kids, and people say, "Well, you can't sustain it. You don't have competitions." We don't have competitions over here because we don't have anyone running it that know what they're doing, and that's that's why the NRL should step in. And the reason why we can uh, facilitate a second team, and Hilly would tell you this because that's how they they did Newcastle. Is because we could develop our own and keep them home, and I think that in itself is, is is good for the NRL because then you develop 
more talent and open up more avenues for, for kids to come into the NRL. Um, so does the second licence, would that suit New Zealand? 100%. They should be the next licence that comes out should come to New Zealand. What about the New Zealand Rugby League? How would they take to the NRL taking over Rugby League in their country? Well, they've got no idea. They wouldn't know front from back. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're but they're they're a bunch of um, what would you call them? You know, oh, they 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 are more they are more interested in salaries and um, and getting tickets to test matches and 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 sitting down with NRL superstars than they are about community and what what community really needs. Um, the cronyism inside that organisation is something terrible. It's leaderless, and what they need is someone like the NRL to come in and take it over. You know, it's, it, it is such a it's such a tragedy in this country with the worries, the way that they're going, and they can fill a stadium with twenty three thousand people. Most of the, most of the community now are crossover um, fans from rugby union, and we've got an organisation like the NZRL that can't really understand that or capitalise on it. And if the NRL are looking from the outside and they just need to look at that and the crossover and the, and the change with New Zealand rugby um, in this country, because rugby league is, is on, a, on, a, on, a, on a steep upward rise. Yep. Um, and if we do get the right people in at the NRL having a look at it, they would definitely consider or they should be considering us as the third state. Well, mate, I'm sure they are looking at um, at New Zealand as uh, looking at a few other areas as well. But um, whether the, whether the NRL are prepared to just go in and take over footy holders bolus, I'm, I'm not too sure about that, and, and whether they think they're entitled to, I guess. There's nothing to take over. Uh-huh. You know, it's that it's, bad, it's, eh? We are, we've, we've been on a life support for years, and unless. You know, unless we have someone with a bit of vision, um, I don't know. I don't know how long we can rent the life support systems for. Mm. Well, it's something that um, obviously the, the NRL need to have a close look at if they want to uh, keep keep you guys viable over there. I guess. Mm. Good on you, Kempi, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, and hopefully, might catch up next week. Seeing you're going to be over here. Um, I'm sure you'll be catching up with a few people. Um, love having a chat, and it's been too long since we did that. And uh, looking forward to maybe catching up. Yeah, Baz, thanks, thanks a lot for um, for touching base. I, I remember you. I remember me and you used to do that column. Remember for the Telegraph. Yeah, Barry Tui was Barry Tui was my ghostwriter. You did, um, and you never really so, paid me anything for that either, did you? <laughs> well, I think, did I get paid? I probably gave it straight to Hilly. So if you want some money, you're going to have to go and get it off Hilly. Uh, yeah, good luck with a, that. There's a, there's a few bills that I had to pay um, to that man. But no, thank you. Thanks a lot, Bez. And uh, like I said, right at the front of the podcast, um, there's a, a soft spot in my heart for that um, city of Newcastle, especially those early years um, where it taught men to be men um, and, and, and the responsibility you had on your shoulder of carrying a city. Um, and I'll never, ever forget that. Good on you, mate. Great to chat. Cheers, Beth. See you, mate. There he is, Tony Kemp. Um, 
got some forthright comments at the end there about uh, the New Zealand Rugby League. I don't think he's got much time for uh, the New Zealand Rugby League by the sound of things. Um, but, yeah, look, anyone as old as I am and anyone that's listening that remembers the early years of the night, and there's a lot of you out there, I know, um, would have fond memories of, of Tony Kemp um, and the rest of the New Zealanders, actually, who... Uh, who helped prop up the club early on in the in in the piece under Alan McMahon? Um, some great times. Okay, the Twitter mailbag this week. Uh, John O. Maloney. I've got to say, Baz, I'm still not exactly sure what Jack Hetherington brings to the team off the bench. Named again this weekend. Are we short of middle forward options? Not to mention the rumours of DSAF leaving. On top of that. Uh, John, look, yeah, look, Jack, we haven't seen the best of Jack, Jack Hetherington. I'm not sure why. Um, he certainly hasn't been getting a great deal of game time in, in the top grade, and I don't know why that's the case either. Um, I think he gives, well, he gives the team a bit of line, sp- uh, a bit of leg speed um, for a front rower. So I think there's, and he's got some aggression in him. Um I just don't think we've seen enough of him, to be honest. So maybe over to um, the coach there, Adam O'Brien, to to get him out there a bit earlier, maybe even start with him um, at times. Um, but he's certainly got a lot more to offer than what we've seen. So hopefully um, the back end of the season, uh, that might come out. Uh, this one's from Alex. There's a lot of talk about how, type, how tight our cap is. From the outside looking in, how is that even possible? Yeah, look, Alex, there has been some media speculation in and around the, the salary cap and the fact that it's pretty tight and there's not not much room. But look, the the fact is that there's not a lot of room for too many players because basically the just about all the squad, bar probably four or five, have, have already been signed for next season. So you don't need a lot of cap space in that in that regard and I would say that just about every club in the competition has issues with their cap um, that's why you see players get moved um, constantly um, clubs have issues with their cap and and being compliant each each and every year so I don't know that Newcastle's any worse in that regard than anybody else to be honest uh, maybe there's just been some speculation in around some players being offloaded that um, whether it's right or wrong, um, has fueled that speculation. But I don't think Newcastle's cap's any worse off than probably any other club, to be honest. KD, is the chat about Beryl from the Sharks being looked at for this season true? Okay. Um, Jaden Beryl, who's, I think, the Sharks reserve grade or New South Wales Cup hooker, is a name that's been floated around around for um, quite some time, actually, um, as a possibility of, of maybe coming to, to Newcastle. Now, there are rumours around, and it's only speculation. I haven't, uh, I don't know anything solid about whether there's talks between the Knights and the Sharks about uh, Jaden Beryl coming here for the rest of the season. I know the Knights are looking for a hooker, um, and there's not too many options out there, so maybe he's one of them. Um, I know that, um, well, he's, I think he's 27, maybe 28, 
Jaden Barrell, and he's never played in the NRL before. So um, whether he's whether he's that type of player that the Knights uh, need, or whether it's out of necessity, I don't know. But um, certainly they'd be looking at all their options, and he could be one of them. Whether the Sharks are prepared to let him go, and for what reason they'd be prepared to let him go, I, I'm not sure. Uh, Kane, KJ, call me Joe. <laughs> it's an interesting handle. Um, any truth to the reports that the Knights are looking to sign Michael Maguire as head coach should Adam O'Brien be shown the door if Newcastle don't make the eight this season? Uh, look, obviously there's going to be some speculation in and around the coaching situation depending on what happens, you know, particularly over the next month, I would say. If, if the Knights were to lose the next four games, for example, <clears throat> and probably be out of finals contention, then the speculation around the coaching situation and Adam O'Brien's future will, will intensify. Michael Maguire is a name that's out there, obviously a premiership winning coach who's assistant now at the Canberra Raiders. He'll he'll be a contender if, if the club decides to go in a different direction to Adam O'Brien, remembering that Adam O'Brien has another year on his contract, so they'd have to pay him out to uh, to let him go. Um it's just all speculation at the moment. Paul McGregor, I've heard his name plenty of times come up. John Morris, an ex-player here, who's um, coached first grade at the Sharks, who's now um, assistant at South Sydney. I've heard his name uh, mentioned as well. So there'll they'll be contenders and you'll get speculation in and around it. How true it all is, well, remains to be seen. At this stage, Adam O'Brien's still the coach and I'm sure he's thinking along the lines that he'll be the coach next year as well. So we'll just wait and see what happens. Um, Red and Blue Blood, <coughs> how is Jaden Braley going? Have you spoken to him? Look, yeah, I have spoken to him actually after last week's game. Uh, puts on a brave face, Jaden, but he'd be doing it tough. Obviously out for the season with that knee injury, the second time that it's happened to him. Same knee. So um, he's got a big re- rehab uh, program ahead of him. Um, he'll come back next year, hopefully uh, really strong. But, uh, yeah, he'd be doing it tough, only natural that he would be. Just got engaged too, didn't he? To his he did. partner, Lil? He did get engaged. Yeah. So some nice things happening off the field for him, um, if nothing happening on the field for him, at least. Uh, ben Payne. Hey, Baz. Brails, another Jaden Braley question. Brails seems to be very tough, both physically and mentally. How difficult will it be for him to return to the NRL after his injuries? Can he get back to the level he played at previously? Cheers. Yeah, well, Ben, you're right. He is physically and mentally very tough, but uh, he's going to need to be because particularly mentally, coming back from uh, <coughs> two knee reconstructions, which is what he will be coming back from this time, um, yeah, it's very difficult. I don't think there's any doubt that he can get back to the sort of form that he that he's capable of and, and maybe even take that to another level, hopefully. Uh, just needs a bit of luck more than anything else. Don't worry about uh, Jaden Braley as far as the rehab goes. He'll do everything that he has to do to get back on the field. And, you know, it's only natural that he's probably thinking to himself, well, I've come to Newcastle and I've, I've had these serious injuries and, and uh, they're paying me good money. I'm not on the field, so he, he, he'd be the type of player that would be uh, feeling a little bit guilty, I would imagine, when uh, it's nothing that he can do about it. It's just the way it is, the, the bad luck. So hopefully um, 
<coughs> down the track. We see uh, see Brails have some good luck for the club because uh, he's a great man, great player, great person, one of the best people in rugby league as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you just want to see people like that have some success and have some luck on the field. Um, Grant, the NRLW is about to start. There seems to be significantly different approaches to how the clubs are, are starting this new era. What is intriguing you most about the upcoming season? Oh, look, uh, what's intriguing me most? I think whenever you throw some more clubs into the competition, which is what they've done or what they've done this this year and what they're doing over the next couple of years, they're expanding the competition, so you're getting new clubs coming into the into the competition. I think that's that's an exciting, um, you know, exciting factor. Obviously, the Knights are, are coming off a great last season where they won, won the Premiership, but because these new clubs are coming in and there's more competition for for players, so obviously Newcastle's lost some of their their stars from last season. So uh, it's going to be interesting. There's some international players coming over. There's, a, there's a, a girl coming over from England that's playing for the Knights that the Knights have signed for the next five years. Uh, a girl by the name of Roach, who's an international, 5'8". So, look, there's plenty to look forward to. Um, I think it's just fantastic that, um, you know, that we've got a situation now where there's a competition there and the girls... Um, short to long term futures have, have been resolved as far as contracts go. I mean we've got uh, four or five girls here at the club in Newcastle that are on five year deals I think which is amazing to be honest. So um, yeah looking forward to, to the season and it's going to be tough for the Knights because they're the defending premiers so the other clubs will be out to get them um, and they have lost a few players but I'm sure they've They'll be bringing some uh, some new players into that system, and yeah, looking forward to the expanded competition and and uh, to see how Newcastle goes. Okay, Tom Binky. Now Tom's written in and said that his last name. I think I've been calling him Banky, or he said it's pronounced Binky. Uh, so Tom Binky, good on you, Tom. Hey Baz, have you heard anything recently about the Knights and Sharks in discussion for a player swap? Ah, oh, yes, that's we're talking about uh, Jaden Beryl again. There, uh, look, I, nothing official. I've only heard the rumours like you have. As I said before, the Knights are chasing a, a hooker. They've got one position to fill before June thirty. So um, I'd be, I would, be, wouldn't be surprised if he's the player that the club is trying to get out of Cronulla, but. Whether they have success there or not, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, Marcus. Uh, Barry, this weekend, how do you see Kurt Mann being used? Phoenix has been absolutely amazing playing the full 80 minutes. So is it a rotation between Kurt Mann and Adam Elliott or a th- three-way rotation between them all? I think it's the strongest night side of 2023, I believe. <coughs> And a shout out to the assassin of the airways. <laughs> hey, Marcus. He Marcus. <laughs> uh, look, Marcus. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be a three-way rotation. I think um, I think Kurt will probably play a bit of thirteen, which is uh, Elliot's position, and he'll probably play a bit of uh, hooker as well, which is Phoenix Crossland's position. It just depends on uh, on the game and how the players are p- performing, and and uh, but he certainly got some. Uh, well, he's, uh, he's a player that can play in a number of positions, so 
he can he can come on and play a bit of hooker, a bit of dummy half, and and also play the ball playing lock role that Elliot's playing at the moment. <coughs> uh, Phil Gilbert, hey Baz, love your work. Can you give us a bit more detail about this guy Blake Canavo? Does he have a football background, and how much input does he have in the recruiting and retention at the Knights now? Uh, Phil's obviously read my column last weekend. Blake Canavo, um, who was spotted with a player manager at the footy last weekend, he's a name that um, not too many people connected to the Knights outside of the club itself would know about because um, not much has been spoken about Blake. Um, I did talk to Peter Parr, the, the director of footy, about Blake Canavo and his role, and he said he's an advisor. But obviously he is involved at the moment. The club doesn't have a uh, a uh, boss of recruitment at the moment, so I don't doubt that Blake Kenovo is is um, having some input there. Uh, I know he's got a son playing for the club in the lower grades. Um, I think you'll put it this way: you'll hear more about Blake Kenovo probably from me actually um, down the track. Uh, now that um, his name's out there in the public arena um, and how much influence he's having. I know that he's a confidant of Phil Gardner, the, the CEO. Um, he's a guy from Port Macquarie, Blake, that, that owns a uh, or runs a mining company. Uh, Phil Gardner is on his board or on the board of that mining company, so there's a strong connection there. Um whether it's an official role that he's having, I don't know, um, to be honest. But um, certainly some ex-employees know all about Blake Kenovo and have been talking behind the scenes about Blake Kenovo. So I think we'll find out more, Phil, um, down the track about Blake and, and what his actual uh, role is with the club. Uh, Dr. Buddy Tubside. Hey, Baz, a lot of talk at the moment about Ponger and, and Walsh. I believe Ponger is individually more brilliant, but Walsh is proving to be consistent. In the end, that's the difference and the reason he was favoured over Ponger for the Queensland Origin side. What do you, what do you reckon? Oh, look, I think um, he's been more consistent because he's been on the field all season. P- Ponger hasn't. Um, Ponger's had his issues with the with the head knocks and the concussions, and I think that's the reason why he's not. That's the reason why he's not playing Origin. I think um, if Ponga didn't have the concussion problems, then he would be the first choice fullback. But uh, Walsh is a, a an outstanding talent. Played great in in Origin one, and um, yeah, look, it's he's jumping to lose, I guess, at the moment because Ponga's already ruled himself out for the series. So, so uh, I don't doubt that Kalen Ponga has the ability to uh, to get back to that level and to even play nationally, uh, you know, for the kangaroos. But he just needs to stay on the field, as he puts it himself. He needs to stay on the field for a lengthy period of time and, and um, hopefully not have the concussion problems that he's had uh, recently. But I wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be knocking the ability of young Walsh from the Broncos. He's he's an outstanding player. And that, that match-up between Ponga and Walsh this weekend, this Saturday, it's going to be a fantastic uh, fullback match-up up there in Brisbane. Adam, Adam Clements, say we win three or four of our next five with KP at the back and decide that's the best spot for him, what do you see in the future for Lachlan Miller? Oh, look, Adam, 
I would take three or four of the next five wins, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure anyone at the Knights would. Um, Lachlan Miller, you know, Lockie was outstanding at the start of the season. His form went off. They've they've switched Ponga back to, to fullback. Uh, Tyson Gamble's playing 5'8". I would imagine if the team plays well, then that's that's it. That's where the, the players will stay. Obviously, there's injuries come into it. If Gamble got injured, for example, I'm sure they'd switch Ponga straight back into the 5'8 spot and probably bring Miller back in. But at this stage, um, Lockie Miller's got to bide his time again um, and maybe play a bit of New South Wales Cup, which he will have to. Um, and then we'll see what happens. But injuries obviously play a part. So I don't think we've seen – well, I know for a fact we haven't seen the last of Lockie Miller in the NRL, that's for sure. Uh, Peter Goulet. Hey, Pete. Hey, Baz, can you explain why three genuine stars from the New South Wales Blues team have, within a week of being in the different training methods and styles, suffered soft tissue injuries that they didn't have problems with prior to entering Origin Camp? Well, Pete, to be honest with you, no, I can't explain that. Uh, I know what you're referring to. Latrell Mitchell, out with a calf injury even before Origin. He did it at Origin Training. Uh, Nathan Cleary, obviously the hamstring, Cameron Murray, groin, both backing up after playing at Origin. Uh, you know, the, the high-performance staff cops the blame for, for soft tissue injuries, um, generally. Um, if a club is looking to dish out blame when one of their players gets a soft tissue injury, particularly at training, then generally the high-performance staff cops it. So I'm presuming that's what you're referring to there, Pete. Um, I can't explain it. Um, I guess different high-performance staff have different ideas. So, And, and sometimes you go into a system uh, like a New South Wales system or even the Queensland system with a different high-performance staff boss to what you have at club level and maybe they don't know the same, uh, the same sort of scientific stuff that you know, the, the guy that's in charge at club level knows about individual players. Um, whether that's a, a factor, I don't know. Um, I can't answer it, Pete, sorry. Uh, David, any sign of Mapapalangi returning? That's Christian Mapapalangi, the night centre. He's been out for most of the year. I think he had a shoulder reconstruction. If so, where would you see him fitting into the squad? Look, he's, he's back at training. I think he's only a week or two away from nearly full training. Uh, contact, so we won't be far away, maybe in the next, I'm guessing, three or four weeks maybe, uh, he'll be back. Um, Look, he'll come back and and, uh, they won't take any chances with him. He'll play some lower grade stuff uh, and it'll hinge on his form as to whether he gets a shot at NRL before the end of the season. Um, He probably will if he comes back strong and and plays well in the lower grades, but until then, it's, you know, and, and then you're talking about you know, players that are going well in, in the top grade basically having to get injured to give someone an opportunity. So uh, it's, a, you know, it's a bit crystal ballish to be trying to work out when, whether a, a, how, or how I see a player fitting into the squad. He's got to come back and, and prove him, himself and prove that he's over his injury, which was a, a, a severe one, and uh, start playing well. Uh, Sati, hey, Baz, thoroughly enjoy the podcast, mate. Uh, my question, when attacking players run behind their own players, then lay down and surrender, 
Why do defensive players tackle them? Why not stand back and force the referee to penalise for a voluntary tackle or a shepherd? Oh, look, um, I don't know what would happen if if we had the Mexican standoff with a player on the ground because he knows he's run behind someone and if he takes the advantage, well, the referee's going to penalise him. So he, he lays down for what you call a voluntary tackle. If, if the I guess if the opposition didn't put a hand on him, it, then he'd... Um, you know, have to make a decision on whether he got up and, and ran again. I, I don't know why. I guess in the heat of the moment, they tackling players generally just fall on these guys. So not sure, mate, to be honest. Not sure. Okay, that's it for this week. That's it for another week. Thanks to all everyone that's contributed to the mailbag. Thanks to Tony Kemp. Um, great to catch up with him. Uh, and look, we'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a big upset win, win over the Broncos. Talk to you then. Bye.